All right. Well, here we go. If you uh, have a real Bible, isn't that funny? A real Bible. It's the same as if it's your phone, right? It's the Bible. If you have your Bibles, turn them on, turn over, however you got to do it, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, one of those fun books in the Old Testament. If you find any of the first or seconds, you're probably close in there. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to be talking about the next to last cage that we've been going through in this series. We've been talking about how, as believers, God never intended us to be safe. God never intended us to be part of this little cloister called the church that looks to the world and says, stay away, we don't want you near us, and, and just kind of hang on until Jesus comes back. In fact, God wants us to be out and active in the community in the sense of holding out the words of hope to others. But yet there are things in life that if we're not careful, cage us. They keep us from fulfilling God's plan, His purpose, His destiny in our lives. And we've been trying to identify those and really talk about how do you break out of those cages. We, we start off by talking about responsibility. You know, how that sometimes we can be so responsible that, that we are, we're not willing to risk following God because sometimes following God doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't, it doesn't always add up logically to, to witness to a neighbor or to help someone in need or to go to some place you've never been before. But we need to break out of that sometimes. We talked also about routine. And how you've got to get out of rut sometime and, uh, and just shake it up because we can get so predictable in our lives that we miss those divine appointments that God has for us. You know, yesterday was one of those for me. I just alluded to it a while ago. I just kept watching this, this guy we were setting up, and, and there was just some kind of connect. I didn't know what the deal was, and, and I, I was sitting there looking so stupid. I was in a chair with ice on my foot, you know. I'm like, I'm mad at myself. How many of you are like me? I can turn anything into a contact sport. I am convinced of that. Setting up tables, I can get hurt. It's stupid, right? But I'm sitting there, and I'm just watching him, and finally I, I asked him, I said, so what's... So what's your, what's your connection here? Because he had a little gray beard going on. I didn't pic- picture a gray beard having an elementary kid. And he says, well, have you ever heard of an oops baby? And I said, yes, I have. And praise God we didn't have one. And uh, he goes, well, we had a little oops. And I said, what does that mean? He goes, I got two in college and I've got a third grader. I'm like, God bless you. you know. And he laughed and we start talking. And the next thing I know, he's like, he's like, who are you? And I told him what I'm doing. And, and he just he sits down and he starts sharing his story with me. He was a church planter in the middle of the recession. Things didn't go well. And I started talking to him. Next thing I know, we are, we're, just, we're walking through the walks of restoration. God's just doing good stuff, you know. And I'm like, this is, I mean, we're giving exchange. Hey, we'll have coffee later. And what it, what it brought me was, you know, normal, if I would have just stayed in my Saturday routine, I'd like, y'all go on. I'm going to stay home because I don't do a lot on Saturdays. I want to be fully uh, able to give you my best on Sundays. But to get out and do something different, it put me in a place to minister to someone. So sometimes you got to break out of those routines. Last week, I offended every, no, I didn't. I helped you by, by recognizing we need to get out of the cage of offense and understand there were some really cool conversations happening at, at community groups this week about how we can't let offense attach to us, but we've got we've to break out from that if we're going to let God be everything in our lives. Well, today, we're going we're to take that in a little bit step further to an area that's sometimes hard to talk about, and that is how do you break out of the cage of failure? I want you to pray with me right now. Father, God, I just thank you. God, and, and, and just the uniqueness of this day, God, the uniqueness of this moment, God, 
Father, I believe you put this word on my heart to share, God, and I believe that means that, Lord, it's going to come alive to people here this morning, God, and those listening on podcasts. So, Father, I pray you help us, God, to have ears to hear, God, to, to, to let go of the things that are distracting us, God, the things that may be a little out of sync. It doesn't matter, God. We've come to worship you, and God, you're the central focus of all we do this morning. So, God, let these words speak to us, God. God, shape us by them, and God, let us live in a life of breakout, God, where, God, we live the adventure of faith, God, of helping spiritually lost people, God, find their way back to you. God, we love you. We give you praise in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. You know, failure is, is probably one of the most dreaded words in the English language, right? Probably kind of comes right next to cancer, you know, if you really think about it. It's one of those words you just don't want attached to your life. But unlike cancer, the thing about failure is this, cancer or disease or things that just happen don't seem to be our own personal fault. But yet when we ever hear the word failure, we think about, well, that's my own fault. I own that. It's something in me. It's a commentary on who I am. Or at least that's what the enemy of your soul would like you to believe. That's what the world would like you to believe. But failure is something that honestly is common. It's common to every one of us because we, we kind of try things in life and we try to follow God and we try to do things the best we can and sometimes we recognize things don't work out always the way we think they ought to work. You see, sometimes we have this bad habit of taking ourselves way too seriously, right? I mean, we're just thinking the world revolves around us. It's, it's everything about me and mine and it, it's all about, you know, God, I'm doing you a favor by serving you, God, because after all, I'm awesome, right? You know, we have that kind of mindset and, and when we do that, we're setting ourselves up to be caged into this concept of failure. I mean, think about it as, as, we, as we look at life around us. Each one of us, if we're honest, say deep down inside of us, something says this world is messed up. The life does not go the way we think it ought to go. And our expectations are constantly not being met. We're seeing things around us that we, we wish were different. We have a friend that goes through a, a marriage that just doesn't make it, and, and they, they walk in that label of a, a failure sometimes. Or, or our job, we get downsized. It has nothing to do with us, but yet we take it as we did something wrong. Or that person you've been praying for, and you've been working to witness to them, and instead of them coming closer to God, it seems like they're getting further and further and further away, and you just start taking ownership of all of this. And the next thing you know, you're living in this, in this place where you're allowing yourself to be classified as, as one who is a failure. But failure is not, it's a noun, it's not a noun, it's, it's, it's not something that describes you, it's something we experience. And if we experience it in God's way, if we look at things through God's eyes, can I tell you, sometimes things we call failures, failures can be the best thing that ever happened in our lives. Not a good place to say amen because we don't want to claim that, right? But can I ask you this morning, you don't have to raise your hands, how many have ever experienced what you would say is a failure in your life? Just kind of nod your head. Yeah. Boy, I could write a book. I mean, it's, it's something that we, we run into. In, in business school, they taught us to embrace it. Because out of failure, sometimes come your best ideas. It comes your best experiences because something triggers to say, it's got to be different. And it causes us to move forward and going towards something that's different in our lives. I mean, if we're honest this morning, we just have to admit most of life is outside of our control. Most of life is beyond what we can control. Anyone that's a parent in here, you can say amen to that, right? Because you can do everything right. And yet still have kids that you wonder, did I really give birth to them, right? 
You, you can do everything in, in your business. I mean, you can follow all the marketing models. You can do the best management practices. And guess what? Some businesses still just don't make it. Some things happen, guys, that are beyond our control, and we have to look at the Word of God to help us, because in there, here's what I'm so grateful for in the Bible, is that God shows us through the Bible and the characters of the Bible that, that He shows them walking through some of the hardest disappointments in life, and then He reveals to us who are reading it, who are looking at it on this side, what God does through His grace and mercy in times that we would call failure. And one of the characters that I see in the Bible that experiences in a big way is who we're going to read about today, and his name is Elijah. He was a prophet. He was a guy that we have a hard time relating to because he was a miracle worker. He was a mouthpiece of God. But can I tell you, he was also a mess. He was also a man who experienced great, great victories, but also great failure. And because of that, he's a great person for us to examine today as we look into Scripture. You see, Elijah, Scripture says, was a man just like us. He, he wasn't anything greater. Listen, don't ever make the characters of the Bible into superheroes. They're not. They're not these gods that came down from the heavens somehow. They were men and women just like us, empowered by God to do amazing things, just as God wants to empower us today. And as we read about Elijah today, he experienced probably in the Bible one of the greatest victories you would ever experience. And in some reason, in his own mind, he, he kind of had in his, in his thought process that he had the power to make everything right, only to be disappointed in that, only to walk through an epic personal failure. You see, Elijah was one who got caught in the cage of failure, but God broke him out. And we're going to look today at how God breaks us out of the cage of failure. First Kings 18, a little background, and we're going to read it, all right? So, Bible history. God sets aside the children of Israel, Right? He calls them to himself. They end up going to Egypt, and in Egypt they're put into slavery, correct? We, we know kind of the history here. And yet they're brought out. And we talked about how they came out, and they, they came into the promised land, and there they were going to be a nation that blessed other nations. One problem, they were human. One problem, they're like us. They're kind of fickle, right? And, and before you knew it, Israel was starting to fall apart. In fact, over its idolatry, worshiping other gods besides the God who created them and, and saved them, they began to go after the things of the world. And the next thing you know, they were splitting apart. They were forming two different entities. Israel took ten tribes and became the, the community of Israel. And Judah took two tribes and became the, the community of Judah. And Israel was following a king named Ahab, whose wife was named Jezebel. And I will tell you, never name your kids either one of those two names, okay? Because he was a wicked king, and he led them into this idolatrous worship of Baal, to literally where they were sacrificing their children in the fire to this false god. How many know that's not a good thing, right? And God is not happy with that, and God calls Elijah, this, this prophet, to pronounce judgment upon Israel. And he does so, and literally Israel experiences no rain for three years. I mean, they are, they are drying up, crops are dying, people are dying, it's a mess, and Ahab is trying to kill Elijah. He's trying to get him and, and, and wipe him out because of his prophecy. And God speaks to Elijah one day and says, now here's the deal. I want you to go confront Ahab, and I want to put an end to this. And this is where we pick up the story, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 and 21. It says, so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. He set up this confrontation. He was going to show whose God was real. 
Over the next few verses, he turned the prophets of Baal loose and said, okay, whoever's God will bring fire. This is the test, okay? We're going to set up a sacrifice. You set up your sacrifice to Baal. I'm going to set up a sacrifice to Jehovah God. Whoever's God answers, he is God. Real kind of mono a mono. Let's see who's the God here, right? And the prophets of Baal, they set theirs up, and it says all day long they cried out to Baal. And they screamed, and they hollered, they danced, they cut themselves, they did everything they could, and guess what? Baal didn't show up. Go figure, right? But God did. Pick it up in verse 30. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. So here he was saying, I I believe God is going to restore Israel, putting all the 12 tribes back together again. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. He was just making it harder, right? And after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. Come on, just the only way this is going to be is it's going to be a miracle. Only God can do this, right? And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me and answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately, verse 38, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and even the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. Now, it can't get any better than that for a prophet, right? I mean, that's like Super Bowl, touchdown, hallelujah, we've done it, right? Yeah, we're out. Drop the mic, walk off. God is God. But can I tell you, at that point of highest victory, Elijah somehow managed to turn it into a failure. At that point of highest victory, Elijah did what sometimes we do ourselves because he was thinking, surely this is it. Israel is going to be united with Judah once again. It's going to all be done. Ahab, Jezebel, they're going to be gone. The drought's over, and it is amazing God has won the victory. But only a short time later, we find Elijah running for his life, hiding from God, hiding from everyone else, and saying, God, just take me out. Pick it up in chapter 19. I know we're reading a lot of Scripture. I want you to see the story in your mind this morning. In chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now Ahab... The king told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. He had wiped out the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that one of them. In other words, she says, I'm praying to the same gods you just defeated, but Elijah, I'm praying that by this time tomorrow you're dead, all right? And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. You see, Mount Carmel, this experience that, that Elijah had, was what I liken to areas of our lives we have these high expectations, right? It's the wedding day. And we are going to be happily ever after. We're going to be the, we're going to be the couple. They're going to put our picture on the cake from now on because, because we're it, right? 
It's the day of the birth of a child, and you're like, oh, they're going to be so stinking awesome. They're going to be like a Rhodes Scholar. They're going to be captain of everything. They're going to be this corporate giant. I can retire on their fumes, right? You know, we have all these high expectations. It could be a graduation or the start of a business or even the start of a church. Because, again, we go by faith, and it's like, it's going to be awesome. But here's the problem. We've been called to a great life of adventure, a great life of witness. However, we must honestly say that things don't always go as we plan. Things don't always happen the way we want them to happen. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves having what I call the Mount Carmel meltdown like Elijah, and we can all of a sudden begin to own things that are not ours to own in the first place, and we can drift down into this sense of depression and despair and failure to no longer are we making an impact for Christ. I mean, look at Elijah. Guys, it couldn't be any bigger. I mean, how many would like just to see one miracle you could claim as God's miracle in your life, right? That you say, I know God did that. Here's Elijah that he saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Think about it. This man prayed and rain stopped for three years. He had that much power in his prayer. In the middle of the drought, when he got hungry, God says, I've got your back, Elijah. Don't even worry about it. And, and God brought meals on wheels through the, through the wings of a raven and brought food right to Elijah. said, I'm going to take care of you. I mean, things that we can't even imagine happening were happening in this man's life. He prayed and fire falls from heaven, consumes the, the, uh, the sacrifices, takes out the prophets of Baal, and publicly confronts the king. That's like a believer walking up to our president today and saying, you know what, you're wrong about your ideas of, pro, uh, of pro-abortion and other things. It's just like, we're going to confront you, and guess what, we're confronting you in the name of Jehovah God. This man had power. This man had place. He had, he had prestige. But here's what happened to Elijah. I think perhaps he began to believe in his mind that somehow he was something special. Well, God needs me. I'm his mouthpiece. God, God depends on me. If I hadn't shown up, there wouldn't, have been this, there wouldn't have been this big battle and God would not have won. And he sets this unrealistic expectation up and through that, he ends up in this cage of failure because after all, here he is feeling sorry for himself and, and because things didn't happen the way he thought they would happen. It wasn't enough that God showed up. It wasn't enough that the altar was, was burned up. It wasn't enough that he killed the priests of Baal. He thought God was going to unify Israel that day. Can I tell you guys, so much of our battles with failure become because of things that we thought ought to happen. Because of things that we thought ought to be a certain way. And when they didn't happen that way, we get caught in this cage that traps us in what, what we would call failure. You see, his expectations got in the way of the simple fact that success for Elijah was found in obeying the Lord. That's it. Not in a specific result that had to take place. And can I tell you that we have the same mandate? God says, I just want you to obey. I just want you to learn to trust me. I want you to learn to walk in my ways, and you leave the results up to me. Because if you try to own the results, guess what? You will end up in a fetal position somewhere saying, I just can't do this. Because there are things in life we don't always understand. So the first thing Elijah did, if you're taking notes this morning, that led him to this cage of, of failure is he lost perspective. His sense of self-importance changed his focus from obeying the Lord to working for God. For to working for God. I mean, after all, how can this church survive if I'm not working for God? How can, I, how can this missions endeavor make it if I'm not the one? How, how, can this, how can this endeavor ever succeed if I'm not writing the check? You see, guys, God's called us to obey him. And he says obedience is better than sacrifice. And God speaks to Elijah in verse 9. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing? 
<laughs> it's not a good thing when God says, what are you doing? How many know that God already knows what you're doing, right? He's like, Elijah, what are you doing? And Elijah replied in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And the Israelites have eject, rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Man, he was down, wasn't he? He says, I've been zealous. God says, so? Because <laughs> zeal without obedience doesn't amount to anything, right? I can be zealous about a lot of things, but unless God calls me to do it, I'm basically running in vain, right? So zeal is not the issue. God's not saying, I just want you to be zealous. No, I want you to be zealous, but I want you to obey. You see, before Mount Carmel, Elijah, if you study his life, he had never done anything unless God spoke to him. He had never spoken towards the king or, or, or went to a certain country or, or went into a certain service even unless God spoke to him. But now he's running for his life without even seeking God. I mean, he went from seeing the fires of heaven fall to this wicked queen who has no power at all, so I'm going to kill you, and he's running for his life. He says, I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. You know, guys, when we lose perspective, we get kind of insular, don't we? When we lose perspective, we think it's just us. I'm the only one going through this. No one can understand how I feel right now. No one has ever experienced what I'm walking through. I, I am the only person in the universe God is ever going to have to bail out of this. How many know that's false, right? Because the things we go through, people have gone through. The things we face, people have faced for centuries. And God has helped them just as he wants to help us. But if we lose perspective, we get caught in this little trap where we're like, it's it, I'm the only one, and we forget everything that God has ever done for us. But can I tell you, we're in good company when we do that? Because even the disciples, those that were closest to Jesus, had that same problem. In the New Testament, they had fed the 5,000, right? God did this miracle, and people were fed with just a few loaves and fish. And the story tells us that the, Jesus put the disciples in a boat, and they're going to go to the other side. He says, oh, by the way, we're bringing the leftovers for, for dinner on the way. And they had 12 basketfuls still of fish and, and chips, even though they had already fed millions. And right in the middle of that, they went to a storm, and the disciples cried out that, that they were lost. They're like, surely we're done. God can't save us. And they forgot what he had just done for them. Listen, gang, it's not over. It's not over no matter what you're walking in your life. It's not over. God has the final say. God has the final say. We've got to get our focus back on God who's always been and always will be faithful and true. He does not change. His character does not change. Scripture says he's not a man that he should lie. He is faithful to us always. You see... The second thing I want you to see about Elijah is the Lord is patient with us when life gets out of focus. I, I'm hard on myself. Does anyone else relate to that? We're hard on ourselves. We expect more, right? We have this perfection mentality. Surely everybody else can mess up, but I'm not going to mess up. One of the things I had to learn in my life was that the Lord is patient with me even if my life gets out of focus. Because God goes to great lengths to get our attention, to get our attention back on him, off of ourselves, so that we can move forward, learning what God wants us to learn in every circumstance. Look at verse 5. It says, all at once the angel, here's, here's Elijah, he's down on his, he's just down. He says, all at once the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there was by his head some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. Can I tell you guys, when life gets out of perspective, when life gets out of focus, before we hear the voice of God sometimes, before we get that new direction, sometimes we just need rest, and it's okay. 
Sometimes we just need rest, and it's all right. I believe sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do in life is hang in there because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. We talk to church planters about that all the time. We say, you want to know what your best, your best characteristic is? And they're all like, oh, I'm charismatic. I'm this big personality. I've got all this. We're like, no. If you can persevere, you can be successful. But if you can't persevere, hit the road, Jack. We'll find something else to do, all right? Because it's a, it's, it's a matter of recognizing some of the you know, spiritual things you can do when life gets out of focus is just hanging on and trusting God. Can I tell you, just because Elijah ran and got scared, can I tell you, God did not give up on him. He, he, was, he was not disappointed in him. He was not angry with him. God was just as concerned about his disoriented prophet as he was about Israel. See, we live in a world that forgets the individual, don't we? We live in a world that we get so caught up in the, in the, in the corporate mindset. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter. They're just numbers on a spreadsheet, right? It, it doesn't matter that, that someone's going through something. They're replaceable. But God, God knows us individually. God knows us by name. He cares so deeply about us. The Word of God says every hair on our head is numbered. We are, we, are worth, we are worth more to the Lord than we can even imagine. You guys, listen, our worth to God is not what we can do for Him. But it's our relationship with Him that matters. Don't ever get that mixed up. Don't ever get that mixed up. If you think your worth is because you can do great things for God, can I tell you, you're going to someday hit a wall that you might not recover from. You've got to remind yourself that you are a child of God. You've been blood-bought. His eyes are on you. His heart is towards you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. I love what Oswald Chambers said. It's in your notes if you're doing the version thing. It's up here if you're not. Oswald Chambers said, we must never put our dreams of success as God's purpose for us. I just think that should deserve an amen right there. Just acknowledge it, right? We should never put our dreams of success as God's purpose for us. The question of getting to a particular end is a mere incident. What we call the process, God calls the end. His purpose is that I depend on him and on his power now. It is the process, not the end, which is glorifying to God. That's awesome, isn't it? God's not sitting there in heaven going, well, you you got to 80%, but you didn't get to 90%. I'm sorry, I'm going to move on and you're on your own. No, God is faithful to keep us moving forward because it's not what we do, it's who we are in his eyes. The third thing I want you to see this morning, and then we're going to kind of bring this down to some real practical application, that is this. God will give you time to reflect whenever you walk through anything that you think might be a failure. Verse 7 of 1 Kings 19, it says, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. Here's Elijah. He's eight days' journey away from Horeb, but he takes 40 days to get there. I don't know why, but I've got to believe that part of that was God was pacing him because he had time to think. He had time to assess. He had time to get away from the situation and let God speak into his life. You see, when we think we're in the middle of a failure, we need to do a couple things. And I want you to write this down this morning, all right? We need to, first of all, we need to ask ourselves, what really caused what we think is a perceived failure in our life? What caused it? Was it the situation? Was it someone else? Was it really anything I did or didn't do? God never asked Elijah to unite the tribes of Israel. He just asked him to confront Ahab and to confront the prophets of Baal. 
You see, it was Ahab and Jezebel that blocked reunification. It was Elijah's own expectations that caused him his meltdown. It had nothing to do with success or failure, but he deemed it a failure because he had an outcome in his mind that he thought should be. You see, you need to determine if what really happened in your life was a failure. What you think is your fault may, may have been an attempt to fulfill an unrealistic expectation that was put on you by parents, was put on you by somebody else, or maybe even put on you by yourself. Whenever we walk in the wrong expectations, guess what? We are going to be disappointed because sometimes we aren't able in ourselves. But God doesn't judge us that way. You see, he gives us time to reflect on it. The second thing you need to ask yourself is, well, what successes were contained in the failure? I mean, he, he thought this thing was done. God, I'm no good. Take my life. I'm just like my ancestors. And he forgot that they had killed 950 prophets of Baal. How many know that would have put a dent in a demonic force, right? I mean, that was, a, that was a big deal. And oh, by the way, the people of Israel watched the impotence of Baal compared with the power of God. Can I tell you that in things that we think are failures, there are many good things that have happened that we need to go back and pick out and say, you know what, I am different because of that. I am different because of that, and I'm different because of that. I had a real personal encounter with this about a few weeks ago. I don't even know, this will be new to Denise, I didn't even talk to you about this. But when she was away in Texas, I, I, I went up to see our oldest son, Britt, and he lives in Asheville. And Britt Brit and I, we have, a, we have a good relationship now. We had the relationship when he's 18, like I'm packing his bags, like, you know, hey, good luck, I'll see you someday, right? And, and we, I have struggled for years over the fact that I felt God called me to leave a certain ministry, and I thought, boy, that just meant it was going like, to go like this, and it didn't. And I thought, did I fail? Did I blow this thing up? And we were up there, and somehow the conversation went that way, and my son looks at me, and he says, Dad, if we had never left that church you and I would not be having dinner right now. And boy, I just about lost it. Because <laughs> he's more important than any success in my life. Guys, people are always more important than what we do. And we need to keep that clear in our minds and our spirits. You see, what he exposed was I'd been living in a cage of failure for seven years. And it exploded in that moment. God's like, finally, your eyes are open. Break it out. It's all right. You see, this is a very personal thing because when we think you've failed, it deeply ties to our personality, to who we think we are, to our worth, even to our self-esteem. And that's why it's so important, church, that we get a hold of this and say, God, break us out. We don't want to be there anymore. We don't want to stay in that. See, guys, it's, it's through our trials that, that really we're changed. It's through our trials that God does amazing things in us. It's through our trials that we become better if we just let God speak to us and show us his power. James knew this in James chapter 1. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it our opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The story goes on of, a, of Elijah, and God calls him to this place where he restores his life. Here's what I want us to do as we wrap this message up this morning. I'm going to kind of rapid fire some things, because I just want you to take them, and I want you to think about them this week, all right? There, there's some reasons why Elijah ended up where he did. There's some reasons why Elijah ended up in this cage of failure. The first one is this. He focused on feelings, not on facts. He focused on feelings, not on facts. Guys, we are emotional beings. Amen? But we must realize that just because we feel something doesn't make it true. Right? 
Just because we feel something doesn't make it true. Jesus never called us to get in touch with our feelings. He called us to get in touch with the truth, and the truth sets us free. So the first thing he did is he relied on feelings, not on facts. The second thing is he found himself in faulty comparisons. Comparison is a trap. Knock it off. Stop it. There's always someone better than you. Can I get an amen? Think about that. You just can't do it. I'm sorry. Don't compare yourself to someone else, whether it be your marriage, your kids, your jobs, your education. There's always someone who's done a little more than you have. You see, we need not compare our weaknesses to someone else's strengths. Because when we do that, we will always see ourselves as failures. No, God just called you to be who he made you to be. Don't blame yourself. That's the third thing he did. He had this false blame. It's all on me, God. He's blaming everybody else, and he's taking himself. Listen, gang, when you blame others for something that happened in your life and you think it's a failure, you're putting yourself in the cage. No one else is. You're taking it on yourself and saying, you know what, I'm going to let them control my life. And you can't do that because it leads to the fourth thing he did, and that was he lost focus. God, they're trying to kill me. God, it's done. We're over with God. But he forgot that God is in control and God did amazing things on Carmel and God was not done in his life. So here's what God did to break him out. And we're going to close this up this morning. Here's what God did to break him out of the cage of failure. And I'm I'm telling you guys, this works in our lives today. I love the quote, I didn't like the boxer. But Mike Tyson, anybody know Mike Tyson? Earbiter, whatever you remember him as, right? Mike Tyson is credited with this quote, and I think it's the best quote you can take this morning, and that is this. Everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. Everybody has a plan, right? He's he's talking about boxing, man. I got this plan, I know it's going to work, and then boom, they get hit in the mouth, and the plan goes out the window, right? It's the same way in life. And everybody's got a plan until something doesn't work. So God had to do some things in Elijah's life. Here's what he did. If you find yourself living in that cage of failure, you find yourself just kind of living in those woulda, shoulda, coulda moments of life, the first thing you need to do is this, and this is what God did for Elijah. You need to take care of your personal needs. You need to take care of yourself. Come on. Eat. Sleep. Rest. We're a sleep-deprived nation. You think one reason we're so angry all the time? Sleep. Where's Dr. J? Eight hours, not six hours. Right? Take care of yourself. That's the first thing God did for him. The Lord's original advice was to Elijah was take a nap. <laughs> Eat some food. It's going to be okay. The second thing he did is this, and, and it's so important. Give our perceived failures to God. Give them to God. Listen, guys, don't, don't talk to others about issues as much as you talk to God. We do that. And I think we do that because we want justification. We want someone to go, oh, I'm so sorry you went through that. Kind of soothes us, doesn't it? But they can't do a thing to help you. But God can. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people that are gifted, and we need to spend some time with them, and they help us with fresh perspective. But don't talk to them more than you talk to God. Because if they're worth their, 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 if they're worth who they are and their profession, whatever it is, as a pastor, some, some of you have come and spoken to me, and, and you'll, you heard these words in my life. I'll tell you, look, and I'm triage, okay? <laughs> I'm going to help stop the bleeding. I'm going to make sure you're not dying. And then I'm going to point you in the direction that's going to actually lead to your healing. And that is going back to God. So again, talk to God more than that. The third thing was be yourself. <laughs> you're special and you don't need to be somebody else. Can I tell you that? I hope, I hope you'll listen this morning. God is more interested in your being, not your doing. God has crafted you wonderfully. God has put you in certain places to fulfill his will and purpose and nobody else can do it but you.
God says you're uniquely and wonderfully made. And it all speaks of value. It all speaks of worth. Not everyone is supposed to be behind me about to sing, right? And aren't you glad for that? Because you've heard some of the people singing around you, right? Not everyone should be playing the drums because they can't even clap on beat, okay? Not everybody should be doing what I'm doing. But every one of us has a uniqueness that is equally valuable to God. And he says, do that, be yourself. So we need to recognize who we are, but then as quickly as we recognize who we are, we need to forget ourselves. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Here, this is who I am, God. Now forget yourself. Because what God is saying is, if you take yourself more seriously than you take God, you're always going to be in a cage. If you think you're better than or greater than and you don't need God, then I tell you, you're going to always be in a cage. We need to be content with who we are. We need to be content with what God is doing in our lives. And we've got to be able to watch other people prosper and give glory to God in that. Because if not, we just got caught in this cage again and we live in this jealousy and this criticism until no longer we're able to rejoice with those that rejoice. Then we need to learn to cherish God's presence. I, I am a, I cherish God's presence above anything else. Can I tell you, sometimes it takes a little bit of your effort to get into God's presence. It's not that he's holding back. I just think we take him for granted. Well, if I show up to church, God may speak with me today. No. Now, if you came with a heart prepared and softened in prayer, if you'd been in the Word during the week, if you came and the songs weren't just something to get through, they were a worshipful time, Can I tell you, then God can speak to you. We've got to value that. Because can I tell you, God can do more in a second in his presence in your spirit than you can do in months of seeking help elsewhere. God can do more in a second. But you've got to value it. Because here's what God does when we get there, and this is what we're going to close with. When we're in that cage and God's trying to break us out, We need to let God refresh in our hearts and our minds who we are in Him and what His vision is for our life. You see, God wasn't done with Elijah. He wasn't done. If it was us, we'd have cut the chapter, kicked him out. Man, what a loser. I can't believe you let a little queen named Ahab with with an impotent God scare you this way. But no, God didn't give up on him. And he spoke to him again. And he said, Elijah, you need to carry this anointing to the next generation. There's a purpose for you. Elijah, you need to show forth the miracle power of God because I'm not done working through you. Elijah, there's a chariot waiting for you someday when I say it's done, but until I say it's done, Elijah, you've got to keep going. And can I tell you, in the same way, guys, as long as we have breath, God is calling us to keep going, right? God is calling us to keep ministering. God is calling us to keep loving people the way he loves people. But we get trapped in this cage of failure. Can I tell you, it will keep us from being who God made us to be. And we will no longer live in the adventure of faith. What we will live in is what I call the struggle to survive. And God never called us to survive. Amen. He called us to go forward. Romans 8, 28. Turn there. We're going to read it and pray. I believe it's time to break out. I believe it's time to not let failure or the fear of failure keep us from God's best. And Romans 8.28 is a promise that we can never lose. He says this, you not only need to make the most of your circumstances, you also have to realize that God is in them. And he is capable of working them together for your what? Good. He's a good God, isn't he? And he is faithful. My morning, the question to you is this. 
Are you living in a cage that you need to break out in? Are you, are you able to walk past that one? The way I recognize the cage of failure in my own life is this, because it's deceptive. It's like an f- offense last week. Sometimes we don't think we're there. Is this. I believe if you're spending more time thinking of the past than you are the present or the future, you need to check yourself because you just might be living in a cage of, off- of, of failure. If you're living with the woulda, shoulda, couldas, can I tell you, there's a breakout moment God has for you. If you're reliving in your mind that if I had only whatever that is, you need to break out this morning. I believe God wants to touch you today. Would you just stand with me right now? I, I, went, I went a little long this morning, and I, I, I just didn't want to shortchange this, and it's okay. Because I feel so deeply this morning the struggles that some of you are walking in. I feel so deeply as I'm reading faces, as I'm talking this morning, and I can see, I can see the little light bulbs come on. It's like, oh, he wants me to deal with this. Yes, he does. God wants you to deal with it. And he wants to deal with it in such a way that no longer has a hold on you, but it breaks free. And it comes when we fully submit whatever that circumstance is to God. It may be a family issue. You may be here this morning and it's, it's reliving the past of a, of a business venture or an education that didn't make it. Whatever that is, God, I want you to let that go. For some, it may be a ministry. Like, what happened? Everything was all there. It should have, should have just done this or that. Maybe you're walking in a child that's not being what you hoped they would be. You need to give it to God. Let God break you free.